With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome, friends. It's the Movie Room Podcast. Podcast, enjoy the show. Jackie and Brian are talking about the movie. Movie Film Podcast on the radio. Welcome to Movie Film. This is episode 128, brought to you by Mr. Boy Productions. The fall movie season is here, and I am Zaki Hassan. I am joined by Brian Hall. Hey, good morning, Zaki. Good morning, and happy post-Labor Day. I know. I, I hope you're not wearing white. Uh, I'm just checking. No, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I'm good, everybody. <laughs> it's fine. We're doing well, and we're here to talk about... The summer movie season that just wrapped. This is our annual tradition. We we do our post-Labor Day show, and the first thing we do is look back at everything everything that just happened. What just happened? Yeah, what what was that? Yeah. Right? Let's <laughs> Which is, I think, that's, I think that's the name, by the way, of Hillary Clinton's new book. Did you see this? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not joking. I think that's the actual title. It's like, what just happened? Is that really what it's called? I, I'm pretty sure. Let me Let me Google that. Okay, that's pretty funny. <laughs> What was that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, the, the biggest uh, fight with her editor was over how many exclamation points to go after the question mark in the title. <laughs> it's literally called What Happened. Oh, What Happened. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I think the original title was What the F Happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or alternative title, What the F is Wrong with You People. <laughs> Hillary Clinton. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but hey, we got lots of stuff to talk about before we get to our summer wrap-up. Uh, hey, you and I have have uh, uh, had the opportunity to meet recently. I know. We got to hang out. Labor Day weekend. Kind, kind of, you know, um, uh, we met through our lawyers. The, the restraining <laughs> was, was briefly lifted, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, now, now the plan originally was, was uh, of course, uh, I, I came down and visited you in SoCal. And, and why was that, Brian? Well, that's because John Williams was doing his annual weekend at the Hollywood Bowl, and every year, knowing that this is something that Zachy would love, I extend the invite, even though I know he probably won't be able to make it, but this year was different. This year, Zachy was able to come down and join and see the show. And and I should really, I, I want to right up top extend a heartfelt uh, appreciation to my wife, Amina, for letting me do this. Uh, I had been sort of pestering her about this for like a year in advance. I was like, I, I really want to do this. I really want, you know, and so finally she was like, okay, that's fine. Go for it. And it happened to be that, the, and I didn't realize this at the time, but the day 
that the the Williams concert was was also uh, Eid, which is a Muslim holiday, and uh, she was still okay with me leaving. So in other words, there, it's like uh, this family celebration that I was conspicuously absent for, and uh, it's because she's awesome and. Uh, she really didn't have to do that, and it was really a nice thing that she did. So I want to give her props. You know, I, I don't normally put out uh, uh, the uh, enough appreciation for her on this show. So I figured this is this is the time. This is the time to do that, Brian. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and you know, it, it was it was a big deal for you to be able to make it down here, and I def- definitely appreciate it. And it was really fun to go to this show with you this year. Finally, and so. and and man, it was something. I'll tell you. I mean, this was a. It was definitely a bucket list kind of thing for me. Uh, seeing John Williams perform, obviously the music from Star Wars and all you know, all the stuff, the music of my life, the soundtrack of my life. Uh, but seeing him conducting the Superman theme is just like one of those things where I'm like, all right, I can I can walk into the sunset now. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a good show. I mean, he he does this every year in what's typically the last weekend of August or first weekend of September. And usually there's some sort of theme. Uh, like one year it was the music of Blake Edwards and, you know, they play a couple songs from that and talk about his career. And Julie Andrews was there to introduce that. But this year it was uh, he did kind of like his standards. But then at one point Kobe Bryant came out. That's true. And he recited. Started playing. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like, I can do this. Give me that. And then just took a cello. And yeah, I, I mean, it's Kobe. He, did, he was very good. Um, no, he recited a poem, Dear Basketball, that he wrote when he retired. And it had uh, been turned into a little short film with animation by Glenn Keane. And he asked, he and John Williams had become pals recently and so then he asked john williams to score it and so they performed it with it playing on a screen uh there live which was pretty pretty cool and special um and then of course on top of that yeah playing all his sort of standards i think the only standard he didn't really play was the raiders march yeah he he right he 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 alluded to it Yes. Uh, well, he, through through, yeah. uh, through a piece of music, which I guess we'll talk about later in the show. <laughs> yeah, right. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, pretty much he, he hit the bases. I, I know that uh, uh, he he did like a medley of, of Harry Potter stuff, and it, it occurred to me that I wish I have seen those movies so that I could have the same emotional connection with that with the, those scores that apparently people in the audience do. Yeah, it's funny because I I'm sort of in that boat with you. I have seen those films, but I don't have the emotional connection that a lot of people have to them. Yeah. But being at the bowl, I just I really love the man's work. I love his sound, if you will. And so even though I wasn't super familiar with those songs, it was just fun to hear his music. And 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 likewise, the show opened. Uh, composer David Newman opens the show for about forty five minutes playing different songs from different films and kind of gives like a little film history lesson or his musings on them. And one of them was from a Dracula film from 1979 that I wasn't even familiar with that John Williams scored. Yeah. And it was, it was funny. You and I were both saying it was funny hearing a piece of music from John Williams that we didn't know that was so clearly John Williams. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and I mean, best ways. it's not only so clearly John Williams, uh, the, the track in particular was called night journey. And so, you know, you can sort of 
if you know the basic story of Dracula, you sort of assume, well, this is probably when Jonathan Harker is on his way to meet Dracula, right? And and with that as a rough framework, you're listening to this music, and it paints a picture. I mean, you can you can you have a sense of exactly what's happening on screen, even as a we haven't seen the movie, and b they're not showing us, you know, they're not playing it to the 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 scene. Mm-hmm. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah, and then we were kind of laughing, too, because they played a piece from Dr. Zhivago. Yeah. Which was basically had a montage of the whole film and ends with, uh, I guess, the probably very end of the movie. And we were both looking at each other like, spoiler. Yeah, well, because <laughs> neither of us... 50-year-old movie we've never seen. We've somehow managed to go without seeing Dr. Zhivago. And certainly for me, as I'm watching the montage, I'm like... I, I got to check this movie out, you know? Mm-hmm, you know I, I've been meaning to. I think it's time. And then they show, again, what we presume is the ending. And I was like, or maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the, the plan uh, that we had originally, while, while we had the opportunity to uh, uh, be occupying, you know, the same uh, physical space was, oh, hey, we'll record a show. And then uh, essentially by by Sunday afternoon I was so worn down that I think I fell asleep talking to you like mid conversation. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I mean we were running around all weekend. Saw our good pal Sean. We went to an escape room. We celebrated a friend's birthday. We it was a packed weekend. It was it was an extremely busy weekend and a very productive weekend by the way uh, in in creative terms. But uh the one thing we did not do was do our podcast. So we're here now, folks. Yeah. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> Let's face it, you can't tell what, what, whether we're in the same space or not. So. I was just going to say, like, just kidding, we're in the same room. Yeah. Look, I just punched Brian. Ah! See? <laughs> uh, but uh, what else? I mean, uh, we did see Williams. Any, anything else of note? Well, I'll briefly mention that uh, this past Sunday was the season finale of Twin Peaks, The Return, which I, as far as I know, I'm the one of five people watching this. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean to diminish the show. I the, actually I think there are a lot of people watching it. I mean in my well, circle. There, there I, are a lot I, of people who were uh, unhappy based on the reaction I've seen on social media to the finale. Yeah, it's funny because, like I said, I mean in my circle, I only know maybe one or two other people who are watching this. But uh, And so when it was over, I immediately wanted to talk about it with someone. So I had to retreat to the internet and see what they thought about it. And I would say I, I'm no super fan of the show. I... I you dis- you discovered original- it relatively recently. In like the past seven years, maybe. Yeah. When they put them on DVD, okay. I watched uh, you know the original season one, season and two. You were like and kinda pro- you were prodded to do that by like your roommate, I think, right? Yes. But I but I did enjoy them. I, right. I thought they were fun and I liked the sort of quirky world. And uh so I was interested to go back you know, to those characters and what and just see what they were gonna do and excuse me. I think it was a, it was a worthwhile return. I, I think it was. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. That's 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 my. Uh, it's hard to, to even talk about it because the story is so weird. I could say what happened. It would possibly spoil it. Probably you probably can't spoil the show. I don't know. But it was it was eighteen episodes. A couple episodes felt a little plotting, mm-hmm. but uh, I thought it was a nice mixture of entertainment where it was funny. Sometimes it tested your patience, and at other times, I, as I've explained to some people, I feel like David Lynch figured out how to accurately capture a nightmare. Huh. Like you, at times you felt like you were watching a nightmare, and it wasn't a narrative; it was just an experience, a visual experience, or a, 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 a 
audio experience. And I really enjoyed it week to week, just taking it in. And what it, what it all added up to finally at uh, episode 18 was something that I think they, they finally, through all that confusion, built toward we're going to solve the thing. But then they undid it a little bit and started something else. Hmm. And I think that is either something where you're like, well, okay, all right. And you kind of go with it. Sure. Or you're frustrated because it didn't solve the thing you wanted. And you don't even know if there's another season to follow. Um, so it leaves you with that little bit of longing, I think. Um, which I understand. But now that I can take a step back from it, I sort of appreciate because that's just what the show is. Right. Um, so I think if... I. I don't know that I would recommend. I don't outright recommend this show because I think a lot of people are going to be put off by it or it's really going to test their patience. But if it's something you're interested in, I think what Lynch set out to do, he did very well. So, But that's the kind of filmmaker he is, right? See, I, I decided long ago that David Lynch makes movies that are not aimed at me. Which I totally, totally get. Yeah. So I'm I'm just you know I've I've I appreciate the phenomenon of Twin Peaks. It's not something I've had any desire to dive into because I know that I'll leave just fundamentally frustrated. Mm-hmm. And so I I've, I'm I've been viewing sort of the reactions, you know, with with uh, sort of at arm's length. And that's been fun. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But yeah. That, which is completely fair. I when I, I when I went yeah. to film school, I had a one of my teachers was just a fanatic for mm. Lynch, and so he showed us just one Lynch movie after another, and you know, like his student <laughs> films and stuff. And and it got, I mean, the, the only film of his that I can think of as having had a positive reaction is is Elephant Man. Mm. Right. Everything. I mean, it's just he, and I. I'm not critical of of his films in the sense of like oh they suck i don't think they suck i just they're they're not for me you know see i totally get that i mean it's almost like music and his movies are almost like music because there are things that happen but they don't always line up and they're out of order so you can't you can't always say that it's a straight narrative or like a normal film so it's like you either like the sound of what he's doing or you don't and it's sort of like again with music you can appreciate a band but that doesn't mean you have to like them Right. Yeah, exactly. So. There we go. I totally get that. And that's us on David Lynch. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, next commentary, Mulholland Drive. (laughs) That'll that'll be me like eating chips and reading a book while you're talking. (laughs) I'm like, like the box is like a dream. (laughs) Um, Anyway, I also wanted to bring up that I saw uh, Hamilton. The Broadway musical has come to Los Angeles at the Pantages Theater, and wow. I was very fortunate. That, I was about uh, to say, friends, you're one of the few of the proud. I feel very, very fortunate, like I was saying, because my, my friends banded together when there was some sort of pre-sale through someone who had a membership through, I don't know, they went through work, and they got me some affordable, good tickets for the show. And I later, people were asking me about it later, saying, oh, how did you get the tickets, and is it worth it? And I said, yeah, you know, about this much, I think they cost, and they're like, oh, Dude, like now they're six hundred, seven hundred dollars. Wow. Yeah. So I again, it made me appreciate it even more later, the fact that we were able to get in when we did, and that they went through the work to make that happen. But um, I, just for a brief history, I everyone I worked with at Bob's was listening to this 
show and sort of I people were passing around the disc and whatnot. And so I listened to it on an airplane ride because it's about two and a half hours or three hours. Okay. And I was just taken with it. I just really loved it. I It was one of those weird things where I heard it once and I remembered everything. Yeah. Uh, all the songs. And so I just sort of mentioned that I liked it. And throughout the year, I'd get some of the songs stuck in my head. And then they took that and ran with it and got me the tickets. And so I got to see it. Now, this isn't the original cast, obviously. This is another setup they still have i mean lynn manuel miranda isn't the guy who wrote and starred in the show isn't doing it anymore he's now seems to be pretty tied up with disney working with mary poppins yeah he's he's a he's a man in demand yeah yeah so it it was an interesting experience when you have something sort of locked into your head like certain voices certain performances oh sure it's another thing then to go see it and hear someone else like it took me a couple minutes to adjust to the new person playing hamilton um, but then once you do, I mean, everybody's really great. And I think one of the best things about the experience was you listen to it and you, you're you like, yes, I know this story. But then when you get to see the performances and you get to see the sadness on their faces or the anguish or the excitement on their faces, it adds a whole new hmm. layer to the, the the story and seeing what they do in the confined space i mean it's just one stage but they're staging a war you know and they stage duels and all sorts of things and uh it's a it's a really really magnificent show and i'm still a a fan of it and i think the music's great and the lyrics are great it's a great experience and it's it's unfortunate i think that they've made it this thing where only sorry it reminds me of like uh, jurassic park you know it's like so this is only for the super rich I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a shame. I, I mean, I think everyone should be able to go and experience this, and it, it kind of bums me out that they've, it, it seems, in New York and in L.A. I don't know how the tickets get inflated to that kind of price. Maybe that's through second, you know, ticket sellers or something. Yeah. But uh, anyway, but it's it's a really great show, and if people have the opportunity to go, I highly recommend it. I'd, I'd like to see it, but yeah, it's kind of the same situation where it's like... Uh, Either I send the kids to college or yeah. I, I spend an evening at Hamilton, you know? Yeah. Well, hopefully it's one of those things. I know they have recorded the original performance. Yes. So for posterity or going to milk it. <laughs> a couple <laughs> a little, of years down A little from column A, a little from column B, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Either way, it that will certainly be worth the 30 bucks or whatever they charge for that later. Well, there we go, Hamilton. And, uh, oh, you, you, you finally watched The Last Starfighter. Finally? <laughs> this, yeah, so I watched The Last Starfighter from 1984, I believe. This is a film people can't believe I haven't seen. It's it's such years. it's like it's it it should come with like your Brian Hall uh, breakout kit. Like if you plan to dress up as Brian Hall for Halloween, you would think like a copy of The Last Starfighter would be included. It's really funny because yes, I I've said this many times on the show. I'm a huge fan of fantastic things happening in your backyard. That's as being a ch- child of the '80s and a Spielberg fan. I mean, that's what all those films really are. And so Zachy, when he was down here, we were flipping through his you know movies on Voodoo, and then he started up Last Starfighter, and yeah, I I really enjoyed it. I it's funny because I I can see where when you're a child you can sort of. Forgive some of the, the elements of it that are a little wonkier. And I'm just talking about things that haven't aged well, let's say. Right. Like, if you were introduced to this as a six-year-old in 1984, five, six, whatever. Um, but, I, I mean, I believe me, I didn't hold those things against it. I kind of They were charming in a way. You know? Right. Um, but, yeah, it was, a, it was a really fun film. I mean, for people who don't know, it's 
this movie about this boy. I, and, oh, and Zachy and I were talking about how funny it's almost like Luke Skywalker, right? So you have right. this boy who grows up in a trailer park who has these aspirations, but he's sort of stuck where he is. Uh, but he dreams bigger and he wants to get out of this place. And there's this video game there, like an arcade cabinet, and he plays it and he's very, very good at it. And he finally beats this high score. And it's a, a game where you're manning a spaceship and fighting bad spaceships. And once he beats this score, it sets off this alert into space. And these people are like, great, like these games were a test and we're at war with these bad guys and whoever could do the best at this video game, we know they would be our salvation. (laughs) And so they whisk whisk him away up into space and he reluctantly goes up there and ends up becoming the last starfighter. (laughs) And uh, it was was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I think... uh, I, I do think some people would have a harder time getting into it maybe if they were older. You know what I mean? S- yeah. Sort of like E.T., where E.T. is one of those movies where it just holds up right. forever. Uh, this one is aged a little bit yeah, more. The, and the, I could even the digital effects are, are comical at times, you know? You know, it's funny. I was actually able to really forgive those. I I, I think it was sort of... It does lean toward a more childlike sort of narrative sensibility yes. in its characters and the relationships and whatnot. Um, but it, the visual effects are really interesting. They, I assume it was one of the first movies to use computer-generated effects. Uh, they look like what you would see when you watch a behind-the-scenes and see animatics for action scenes. They look like animatics, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, too, if at the time... They blew everyone's mind, or if they looked like, whoa, what's this I'm looking at? Because it didn't look like what they were used to at the time. Right. So, but yeah, it was, it was, it was really fun. Um, kind yeah, of like, it's, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, I was going to say quaint, but uh, that, that sounds like a pejorative. It's, it's, uh, I wouldn't, I, I actually would use the same word and not mean it. Uh, negatively like you said yeah sure i would i would say it's quaint i think it's quaint it's very much of its time but i mean definitely uh i i i think one thing i pointed out to you was i appreciated that it it presents us with a lead character who's basically a decent guy like uh, and i i just i like the idea of of you know it's it's about rewarding good behavior if that makes sense you know (laughs) yeah right 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 um and you know, I mean, it, it has it has a, a nice message, and I like the fact that um, it it exi- it's it's a one and done, and I like that. I like that th- there's a world beyond the frame that we never need to see. Right, you, right. You know, it sets up something where you could see the story continuing, but I'm glad that it doesn't. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, totally. And it, yeah. it's funny too. This is just a random aside, but. In it, how 80s it is, oh, in yeah. that there's a 10 year old little brother in there who has a stash of Playboys. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> He's like pulling them out and like, uh huh, uh huh. Right. <laughs> you know? And they're like, I was like, you would not see that. Today. That's now, now he would have like a, a, a bookmarked links, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you guys haven't seen Last Starfighter, it's again, it's go in with a proper mindset. It's It's very much an 80s. Uh, artifact but when viewed with, through that prism it's 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 a fun way to spend an afternoon i would say yeah so brian i i had a chance to go see uh close encounters of the third kind over the weekend ah, which is one of my favorite films so i'm really excited to hear about this because you took your kids as well yes i did yeah well you know i 
I I took so they they, they put a, it's funny because it's been for the past couple of weeks they've re-released these classic movies mm-hmm. to the theater. So so uh, two weeks ago I took my kid to see Terminator Two, which I had mentioned I was going to do in my previous episode, and man, he was so like that was a great great experience. I could he was completely plugged in. It's like the exact right age for that movie. Yeah. For T2. But uh, this this right now in theaters, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind is playing, and it's a beautiful 4K restoration. And this is a movie that I have not seen the whole way through since, I think, like 1987. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I realized that while I was watching it, because I've seen bits and pieces of it since uh-huh. then. But I realized the whole way through. So it was an, a virtually new experience for me. Oh, that's... And this is one of my favorite movies, so I'm... What I want to hear all about it. Would you? Well, I mean, it was it it it's it's something that's always been a part of my sort of like my filmic touchstones, you know, the music mm-hmm. and and the things like that. But it was interesting to really experience it narratively as an adult, mm. as opposed to uh, an eight year old, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, the the I really I, I I really liked the first third where. We we see Roy Neary's family life, which is so normal. Mm-hmm. It's what struck me is that it's, it's certainly early Spielberg, and I'm talking Jaws, ET, and and this specifically. It's almost it's like it's almost Robert Altman ish. Yes, yeah. You know what I mean? The way he tends there. There's a realism in how he has characters interact and they talk over each other and stuff. And I think in Close Encounters, for example, the whole thing where they're figuring out that it's longitude and latitude and, and the getting the globe and all, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very real. Yeah. And that, I feel like that was definitely, that's indicative of early era Spielberg because he doesn't do that as much now. Yeah. But, um, uh, what what I did think about was I felt like the relationship with, with Roy Neary's family, Roy Neary played by Richard Dreyfuss, is left entirely unresolved. Yes. And that, it didn't irk me, but it was something, it, it, it was something that for me, I was like, well, what about his kids? Like, he, at the end of the film, spoiler, he gets on this alien spacecraft and he goes off. When will he be back? Who knows? And I'm like, well, doesn't he care about his kids? Yeah, and Spielberg is even talked about that oh, that he, he wrote it as a early in his early 20s and now when he revisit revisits the film he was like oh what was i thinking <laughs> and he would have completely changed the that, ending that aspect specifically mm, now oh, he's a funny. father yeah i mean that to me like okay clearly the relationship with the wife has uh, played by terry gar has broken down terry gar by the way who was gorgeous my gosh yeah yeah like, like I, I i mean i i remember that but i forgot you know yeah, I've always had a little crush on her because of this movie. Because of this movie, yeah. Yeah. I like the way she yells at Richard Dreyfuss. <laughs> Derides him for following his passions. Yeah. Well, <laughs> admittedly, his passion is, like, insane. Yes. So, there is that. Uh, but that that was that was what, what stuck out to me, was s- some kind of resolution there, and I don't know how. I don't know how you would do that with the story as it's constructed. Like, I don't know how you change that without changing everything. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah. the question is, would you get on that ship? I don't know. 
Yeah. Honestly, I, I don't know. It's it's funny, and that's what I sort of love about the movie. And that's you have to almost, in a way, set the whole family thing aside because that's a whole other consideration. But I think what I love about the movie is it's about like a fire or a passion inside of you that you just cannot articulate to other people, but you just have to continue following and trusting. And it leads, for him to a satisfying answer like he was right about the thing he was questioning right yeah so there's this like sort of yearning through the whole film and then it leads to this 20 30 minute beautiful special effect sort of conclusion and satisfaction to what he was feeling tortured by the whole film yes so there's a nice catharsis and it's just a beautiful cinematic experience that catharsis but yes you do have to sort of bring it back down to earth and think about (laughs) i did think about how I don't think you could make that movie today in the same way. Uh, and and in, in big ways and small ways. I mean, the, the moment when uh, Roy Neary has his first encounter, mm-hmm. it's played, it's frightening, but it's relatively subdued. Mm-hmm. In the thinking, truck? And he's in his truck and like the lights start doing this and like the stuff in the car like hits him in the head. And it it's one of those things where you could see now the car gets like turned upside down and he's like screaming. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You can see that version, but it needed to be subdued because it needs, it needs to fall within the realm of these encounters that people have had that mm. anyone who didn't actually live through it would be able to explain away. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that moment has one of my all time favorite Spielberg moments when he's sitting there looking at the map and you see the headlights come yes, behind him and he's yes. waving cars around him to like, just yes. go, go around me. And then you see these two lights come up and he waves them around. But instead of going around, it, they it go goes up. up. You know, what's <laughs> yeah. funny. This is not a joke. I thought of you at that moment. Oh, really? I was like, that's a Brian moment right there. <laughs> so there you go. Wow. This, we, folks, we really know each other, don't this, we? This shows how well we know each other. Yeah. <laughs> that's I, I love it. Yeah. I was like, that's probably the reason Brian loves this movie, because of stuff like that. <laughs> it's one of the many, yeah. <laughs> I also love that Francois Truffaut is in there. He's so great, isn't he? But that's like, like who thinks of putting Francois Truffaut in? <laughs> like, you know, I love that. Yeah. And he's very good. Bob Balaban is good. I mean, every, you know, I, it's, it's a, I took my, my two older ones, my, my 10-year-old and my 8-year-old, and I, I think the 8-year-old was, like, phasing in and out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the older one was definitely plugged in, though. Like, it's... And I have a feeling it's one of those things that he'll be moved to revisit down the line. And, you know, like, I, I, think, I think it's a movie that'll reward repeat viewings because there's a lot in it to really appreciate. Yeah, it's, it's not a movie I watch once a year like I do Raiders of the Lost Ark or whatnot. But, yeah, it really imprinted on me. I love and, the, yeah. the – sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Yeah, no, no, no. The, this, this is such a – again, it's, it's, it's Spielberg's ability to really manipulate the audience. It's this, this, the shot in, in his living room where he's built that the Devil's mm-hmm. Tower model. And then we're seeing on the TV as they're talking about what's happening in Wyoming, you know? Mm-hmm. And as an audience, you're just like, look at the TV. Just look at the t- – like, just <laughs> look at the TV, you know? Yeah. And he's like yeah. looking around, he's on the phone, he's doing everything but looking at the TV. Yeah. And it's it's, just, it's a static shot. Yep. You know? So brilliantly framed. Yeah. Really yeah. well done. So so uh, it's it's a one-week theatrical run, so by the time you're hearing this, it's probably gone. But there's a new Blu-ray or whatever coming out. And and the film that's, I mean, I think what what Spielberg considers his definitive statement is the director's cut. Yes. Which... 
cut out stuff that he had previously added in, such as showing what Roy sees on the spaceship. Right. Uh, which I think was a smart thing to cut out. Yeah, and that was at the studio's behest, because he made the film, wanted to add a few more elements to it, and Sony was like, or Columbia was like, yeah, no problem, but we want to see the inside of the ship. And so he got his money and his time and his ability to revisit it for to do that. But then he was able, finally later, to make a director's cut and cut out the stuff he didn't want and keep the things that he had always wanted. That's very interesting. I mean, that's... that's uh... It's positively George Lucas-esque in his... I know, right? And it feels like that's the only film he's ever done that to, where he's gone back to it again and again. Yeah. Has yeah. he and that's written one of the any other wrote. films? I'm sorry? Oh, were you say, are we saying the same thing? I was like, has he written any other oh. movies? I think AI. Okay. Uh, but other than that, there might maybe there's one more, but I feel like it's just those two that he actually wrote the screenplays. Yeah, that's that. I'm not used to seeing written and directed by Steven Spielberg as a credit. Yeah, and yeah. also for Close Encounters, I don't know if they do this much anymore, but there always was a novelization when a movie came out Yes, uh, back in the 80s. And uh, he wrote the novelization for this, too. Well, it it was probably ghostwritten, I'm willing to bet. Just the same I, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> I mean, who knows? But yeah. Because it, we, we've mentioned this before. The, Star War, the novelization of the original Star Wars is credited to George Lucas, but it was actually written by Alan Dean Foster, who wrote uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. That's probably before guilds stepped in and we're like, uh, no, you got to credit the actual guy. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, I mean, we still have ghostwriters, right? Like like uh, any any celebrity biography yeah. is always by a ghostwriter. Right. By ghostwriter? Yeah. <laughs> by Nicolas Cage as ghostwriter. Yeah. And uh, we do have a bunch of headlines, but uh, why don't we take a break, Brian, and then we'll come back. Sure. And we're back, Brian. A bunch of headlines. Let's start out with, uh, I guess, uh, this, let's get the sad news out first, and that is that Toby Hooper has passed away. Yeah. Yeah, that would, I actually, what was, where's his age? I was looking for that. He he was uh, 74. Was 74. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, uh, obviously, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is what he's most known for. Uh, mm-hmm. That's, if, if you're like me or Brian, you probably know him more for uh, either directing or not directing Poltergeist. Yeah, we were saying uh, when you were here this weekend that it's sort of a shame that even up until his passing... It's one of those things where, like, did you really direct Poltergeist? Like, he's had to endure that question as of recently. I remember this year reading him addressing that question. Yeah. Well, I mean, did did we ever get, like, closure on that? Has that ever been? I I don't know. I mean, it depends on whose opinion you're reading. But it seems a lot of actors are like, I was never directed by Toby Hooper. I think, my my personal opinion, I do believe he directed the film but i believe spielberg was a very hands-on producer yes and very much like even the goonies there's scenes in the goonies that spielberg directed right i have a feeling that he probably lent more of a hand than is normal for a producer because he is steven spielberg so i his fingerprints are probably almost equally on the movie but i'm certain that toby hooper wasn't in his trailer just well, it's it's funny. I mean, when when we talk about um, uh, Spielberg's involvement in in Poltergeist, now now Spielberg himself has repeatedly said, "I did not direct it." Yes, and he actually wrote a letter to the Hollywood Reporter apologizing um, 
for to to Toby Hooper. Right. Um, and here's here's a quote. Here it says, "Regrettably, re- bleh, this is Steven Spielberg about Poltergeist. Regrettably, some of the press have misunderstood the rather unique creative relationship which you and I shared throughout the making of Poltergeist. I enjoyed your openness and allowing me, as a producer and writer, a wide berth for creative involvement. Just as I know you were happy with the freedom you had to direct Poltergeist so wonderfully." Through the screenplay, you accepted a vision of this very intense movie from the start, and as the director, you delivered the goods. You performed responsibly and professionally throughout, and I wish you great success on your next project. So that's that's I've never heard of anything like that. Yeah, like yeah. A, like an apology letter. Sorry, people think I directed your movie. <laughs> right, right. Well, and yeah, I, it's now I feel bad because this is the conversation we're having sure. as we discuss it, but it's. It does feel like a Spielberg film. I think that's why people sort of get that sense. But you know what? The, the, it, I think it feels like a Spielberg film in the same way Back to the Future feels like a Spielberg film. And the, like you said, The Goonies feels... I mean, I think I think it just so happened that he would put his names on films in that era mm-hmm. that were reflective of his own sensibilities. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. any like you could have seen Spielberg doing Back to the Future. Yes. Uh, you know, and, and same with the Goonies, so. Yeah. But but then, uh, yeah, well, it's funny because we, uh, we also watched that documentary about uh, Canon Films. What was the title of that? It is Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. And it is on Netflix, and I want to recommend, again, if you have not seen this, if you're any kind of a film lover, especially of, like, schlock movies of the 80s, which I think is a big chunk of our listeners, you must watch this documentary. Yeah, it was a really, really interesting and entertaining story and i was going to bring that up because then toby hooper went on to work with them and made the films life force invaders from mars which i've never and, seen invaders from mars have you uh, seen that? i haven't seen invaders i've seen i've seen life force life force was sort of a formative movie for me at a relatively young age because um the 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 staggering amount of nudity on display in that film <laughs> was something that just blew my hair back yeah, what you when you watch that documentary, documentary, you realize that was the key ingredient to Canon Films. Yeah, it was basically. I mean, it could have been the most artistic film. This this was a a studio that was hell bent on ensuring that no art accidentally got out. <laughs> right. You know, because it doesn't matter what it was, they'd be like, needs more tits, right? right. And and I'm barely exaggerating. Yeah, no, uh, it's true. It's, it's according to this documentary. I haven't seen all these films, but that seems to be like when they had the list of what needs to be in there. That was always well. Start number one, nudity. Number two, the script. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it it and it. <laughs> script actually might have been number four. I'm not sure. Uh, well, uh, uh, boobs was definitely up there. Yep. Uh, but he he also did uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre two. For canon. For canon. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of a shame because because somebody like Toby Hooper, uh, he it's weird because I mean throughout like I've always known of him and I've always associated his name with horror. But when you when you it's almost like he never got the chance to really measure up to the myth. It feels like, mm. you know, because because he especially towards the the second half of his career mostly did TV, uh, uh, and and then to to some extent you know it was it was always trying to recapture the. Like, how do you measure the legacy of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the first one? Yeah. You know, which is a deeply disturbing film. I don't know if you've ever seen it, the original uh, one. I have not. That's speaking of things that just aren't our flavor. Yeah. And, <laughs> it's and just, it's the thing with the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's not particularly gory. Right. But it's just it's, sort of disturbing. It's, and it's very visceral. Unnerving. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 
But uh, R.I.P. Toby Hooper. Yeah. What a run. Uh, other news, actually, speaking of Spielberg, uh, th- there is still development continuing on Indiana Jones 5. And as of now, what we've learned is it's at least as far enough along in the process where we know that between movies 4 and 5, uh, Shia LaBeouf's character, Mutt Williams, uh, uh, had to go back to his home planet, but he died on the way home. <laughs> yeah. That's what we know about <laughs> My planet per- needs well me. Well put. <laughs> Mutt Williams died on his way back to his own planet. Yeah. I'm wondering if they're even going to reference him. So so the story, so David Kep has written the script, and uh, per David Kep, they're, uh, uh, they've got a script they're happy with, and the quote here is, uh, obviously he can't talk much about it, he says, Harrison Ford plays Indiana Jones, that I can certainly say, and the Shia LaBeouf character is not in the film. Right. So uh, I feel like this is one of those things where a, a big chunk of the internet uh, let out a collective sigh of relief. <laughs> yeah. And the the ironic thing, well, I don't know if it's ironic, but the thing here is that I don't know that Shia LaBeouf is the reason that Crystal Skull is not considered a good movie. No, I don't think so. I, I mean, I wouldn't put it all on him. I think also it should be noted that he went out and trashed the film in the press. That's a good point. And and Spielberg was very upset about that because he was saying, you know, you, there's just this sort of unspoken respect within people that have come together and created something and put it out there. Like, you just don't trash talk something like that. And he, uh, so not even necessarily a personality clash on set or something like that, but just later he just didn't respect the way that Shia conducted things. So it's it's not a surprise that he wouldn't want to work with him again. Yeah, it I mean it seems like Shia like just torched whatever bridge he built between him and Steven Spielberg. I it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't he also cuz he he Shia LaBeouf said that Michael Bay was like Hitler? No, no, that yeah, was he, Megan Fox. Oh, was that Megan Fox? Oh, okay. But I okay, well this changes everything. But I thought Spielberg even commented on that. And well, told he, Bay like not to work with her again because you with, don't work with Ma- someone that says something like that. W- yeah, with Megan Fox, and that's why. Although, although I wonder how much of that was Michael Bay like not wanting to shoulder the blame for firing Megan Fox. Mm. I mean, I have no idea, but yeah, I mean, the, the, definitely, definitely between Megan Fox and Shia LaBeouf, they haven't made a lot of friends in, in that sense. Yeah, but as, as I recall, Shia LaBeouf gave get what I considered fairly candid interviews, and I certainly didn't fault him for being candid about the film. I think I think where he may have been perceived as crossing a line was where he he sort of brought in Spielberg. Like even S- Steve knows that he dropped mm. the ball like that, you know? Right, 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 right. Because you know, to some extent, Shia LaBeouf is like you know. Uh, I had this responsibility, and I let down the legacy, and, you know, I should have done better. I think most people would have been like, well, that's all right. It happens, you know? Yes. But Spielberg's like, hey, man, don't drag me into this. I still got to deal with these people. <laughs> right, right. You know? And yeah. and well, I, I, to be honest, as I recall, they asked Harrison Ford about his comments, and Harrison Ford called him an effing idiot. Did he really? Yeah. This is a while ago. <laughs> Funny. And uh, I think he's an effing idiot or something like that. And so I wonder if that was like Harrison Ford. Like, yeah, I don't want him in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but it also, if you look at the four films, I mean, Marion aside, characters don't tend to overlap. I mean, I guess that's not necessarily true. Sala and Brody in one and three. But you know what I'm saying? Like the, the 
female lead tends to change short rounds only in one film. Sure, but one one assumes that once you give Indiana Jones a son, he's part of the narrative now. Touche. So, I mean, I mean, at the very least, they have to. I, I think he'll have like uh, here's. What's gonna- this is going to happen. <laughs> Wait, I think I know what you're going to say. Go, go, go. <laughs> They're going to have a shot of Indy at his desk. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> and it'll like been a rough couple of years, and they just pan across. Like, there's that picture of Marcus, and then a picture of his dad, and they pan over, and there's like a, a, a production still of Shia LaBeouf as Mutt. Yes. Like, yeah, shame Mutt got caught in the wood thrasher or whatever. Like, yes. <laughs> Was that what you were thinking? Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> right down to the production still. <laughs> anyway, uh, fare thee well, Mutt Williams. We we hardly knew you. <laughs> I will say, you know, God, people are like, do we really want another Indiana Jones? And damn it, I do. Yeah, I know. Me too. Come on. I, like, yeah. I'm probably going to regret it, but damn it, I do. Yeah. You know? I think the real trick to that movie is going to be contending with Indy's age. Because you still want to have an adventure film, but he's he's elderly. <laughs> you know, and it's like he there are things he can't do. So you still need to tell a story that is realistic about where he's at in life, but still make it thrilling. I think I think that that would be a challenge. Yeah, I think um and is that is that something we want to see, you know? Right. Right, exactly. So. Um, I do. I want to see what's the best they can come up with because it's funny. I mean, we'll talk about this down the line as we do more indie commentaries. But Spielberg to this day continues to apologize for Temple of Doom. And it seems like Last Crusade is his cinematic apology for that movie. Yes. And right? and people either appreciate that or don't like sort of the naked transparency of that. Right. Depending but on it seems talk. like with this one, this is sort of his cinematic apology then for Crystal Skull. Right. Like we have to do this to end on a good note again. So basically what we're looking at is of the four indie sequels, half of them are apologies for the previous one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's on track for what, 2019, I think? Yeah, or maybe even 2020. 2020 might be more realistic because I feel like they should be in gear for that. Yeah. Uh, but another another uh, sequel slash reboot slash I don't even know what this is, uh, but I get exhausted <laughs> reading it. Is this we mentioned this very briefly in our last episode? This Joker prequel origin movie that Warner Brothers is, seems intent on doing. I mean this this feels like an April Fool's headline. Yeah, it kind of does, doesn't it? Right. You know, you log when you in say April like, 1st, yeah, they're going like. Even down to Martin Scorsese being involved. <laughs> yeah. It does so we, feel like an April Fool's Day. We mentioned this previously, that they're developing a Joker origin story set in the 80s for some weird reason. I don't know why that. Why the 80s. Maybe just so they can separate it from what they're doing right now. Uh, possibly. Uh, and it would be directed by Todd Phillips of the, of the, um, of the Hangover, Hangover movies. Yeah. He also did War Dogs last mm-hmm. year. Which wasn't I, a bad I, movie. I, li- I appreciate him as a director. Did you ever watch War Dogs? I did. I didn't think that was bad. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that. That was a good HBO movie. There, yeah, exactly. I, I didn't love it, but I thought it was fine. Yeah. Uh, but Martin Scorsese is involved in some capacity as a producer, and one assumes shaping the story. And apparently, all this is part of Warner Brothers' devious plot 
like something out of the Batman 66 TV show, to get Leonardo DiCaprio to play the Joker. The pre-Joker Joker, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, this is weird, because none of this is interesting to me. Yeah, I, I can't say it is for me either. I, 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 I'm curious, for sure. And once the trailer drops, it'll sort of determine whether or not I'm excited about it or not. But it was funny when Martin Scorsese was announced as producer. I think we were all like, oh, that they're going to try to get Leo. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think I can't remember if we already mentioned this. But to me, like the Joker always works as half the film for Batman, well, but like an you know, entire some, movie about something, Brian, something you often say is, is, uh, the, the spice in the stew. Right. Right. Which is not my own phrase. I mean, but yes, yes. Like he, he is a, a great spice in the Batman movie stew and just having too much cumin. If you just have a bowl of cumin, is that something you want? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Um, Remains to be seen. I don't know. I also, I think I mentioned last episode that I did see a fan-made Joker film that was almost feature-length. Okay. That I enjoyed. It was an interesting story about a guy. And I think I think there's a potential for a good film here. But uh, I, th- I think also, this is uh, my personal flavor or tendencies or whatever preferences. I, I don't know that I want to watch a two-hour movie about a deranged killer. You know but, where it's but like. What his, if it's what if it's two hours about a sympathetic guy who who becomes know, at the end we know he has to become nuttier than a fruitcake, but he spends the first half of the movie being a somewhat compelling protagonist. See, now that's something that I would be interested in, and and even if it ends with a downer ending, I think that could be a satisfying film. On the other hand, I wonder if other people hate that idea because well, they I, don't want the Joker to be explained. Yeah, I I hate it because because to me that's Two Face. Mmm, that's Harvey yeah. Dent, right? Like the, right. The, the idea of this the Joker ever being sympathetic before or after. Or, I mean, I, I to me it's just unnecessary, you know. Yeah. I mean, really, come on. Shouldn't this be a movie starring Jared Leto as the Joker, Brian? Good. <laughs> I was just teasing you with that. Yeah. Do, we we had a discussion this weekend about how, my... Yeah, how do, you, how do you feel about Jared Leto as the Joker? It's not my favorite. Not my favorite incarnation. <laughs> I think, I think fo- folks, if you listen to the show long enough, you know that Brian is the most even keel guy about anything and I don't think I've ever experienced the level of hatred from Brian as I did as when I kind of poked him about uh, uh Jared Leto's Joker. I remember cuz when I watched Suicide Squad first I was just like, okay, well, that's a take. And then I rewatched a good chunk of it on cable. And I was like, a, a hunk a hunk a chunk of it. Yeah, yeah, and then and then we were flipping channels this weekend together, and it was on. And it was yeah, it was that moment where Common is in there, and Joker's like, "Why don't you want to sleep with my girlfriend, Common?" Yeah, yeah, that's my, that's my impression exactly. of Jared Leto as the Joker. Yeah, not my favorite. <laughs> not my favorite. It's just I think the pro- well, and it's funny because Jared Leto is very upset at them reaching out to DiCaprio to do this. And I'm like, yeah, because because you have to figure that 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 it's sort of like asking somebody to the prom and then finding out that like somebody hotter wants to go with you. Right, right. Because if you're Jared Leto, you you occupy a pretty 
solid place in in the Hollywood hierarchy. You're an Oscar winner, pretty good. But he's who, a good actor, it, good actor too, right? Not not critical yeah. of Jared Leto at all. But you have to figure that of the people in his tier, who is more desirable than Jared Leto? Well, it's got to be DiCaprio, right? So I don't know. I'm just saying. I, I kind of feel kind of bad for Jared Leto. I I yeah. I would be annoyed if i was him i'd I'd be irked now if you're if you're dicaprio there's every reason in the world to not do this which is why i'm fairly certain he won't Mm -hmm. like i mean come on he's never done a franchise movie ever yeah why would he start but it's interesting his best pal is producing it yeah but i also think that's funny that supposedly warner brothers got scorsese involved just so he could grease the wheels for getting dicaprio involved like isn't scorsese enough of a get (laughs) <laughs> I know. Right? I wonder what his interest is in this. I, that's a good question. I mean, you know, I mean, he's, he doesn't need this. He could be, I mean, he was able to get a movie starring, you know, De Niro and Joe Pesci and all these guys who are probably a harder sell at the box office these days. He was able to get a movie made with them for a $150 million budget, granted through Netflix, but... I mean, he still can do whatever he wants. That's true. So it's interesting. What's his interest in this? Uh, um, um, the money to get those other movies made. There you go. Maybe. I, yeah, I could, maybe. I could see that. I mean, I could see yeah. a situation where it's like, hey, you put your name on this and we'll look out for you when with your next whatever. Yep. I can yeah, see that probably. happening. So uh, remains to be seen. Remains to be seen. Uh, another uh, project that represents sort of the the slash and burn approach to IP uh, coming with, coming back, whether we like it or not, is the Crow, which is it one of these. It just won't die, man. It, just like the Crow. Just like the Crow. <laughs> this is a reboot that we've been hearing about since I think since George W. Bush was president. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, it keeps starting up, and they get a director or an actor attached, and then it goes away, and then it starts up again. And, I mean, the thing with The Crow, the, the original Crow movie, I don't mean any of the multitudinous follow-ups, is that it's like a decent, low-budget revenge movie. Rock video, basically. <laughs> right. You know, it's... I feel like it's... I was going to say it's beloved. I don't even know if it's beloved. I think it's it's appreciated by a specific demographic who were kind of, who were around when it first came out, right? Yeah, like that. It, it you you had to be around in the mid mid nineties. Yeah, I loved it when I was younger, and I have caught bits of it on TV, and it hasn't held up as well for me personally. Yeah, I mean, just from what I've seen, I agree with you. And obviously, the notoriety comes mainly from what happened to Brandon Lee while they were filming it. Right. Uh, so, you know, is there an audience for this? I mean, they've made like six or seven sequels that nobody watched. So I, I'm i like, the the market has spoken. <laughs> right, right. You know what I mean? So I mean, this is one of those movies we talk about where if you're going to do this, this is like a 20 million, really, really low budget, get a new exciting director kind of thing and just see if it lands. Yeah, I mean, and and they in the past they've had Jack Houston attached to star from Ben Hur. They've had Luke Evans attached from from the Fast and Furious. They've had Bradley Cooper attached. They've had Mark Wahlberg attached. I think Jason Momoa at one point was involved. Mm-hmm. And I I don't look at any of those actors as being a reason to watch this movie. No, Bradley Cooper is kind of interesting. 
that just se- that just his... seems miscast to me. Like that 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 just seems like a wrong pick for me. I agree with that, but just speaking of someone who doesn't need this, yeah, right. I, I was sort of curious what was the draw for him, but yeah, I mean they, they've gone through like four or five different directors and and studios, so of course. Uh, uh, the the rights were were up for for sale again, and wouldn't you know it? Who picked them up? Just take a guess. Who? Which studio do you think? Which desperate for IP studio do you think picked up the rights to a Crow remake? Does it rhyme with pony? It might. <laughs> oh, Sony. <laughs> Sony. <laughs> It was literally yeah. like I read the headline and it was like uh, the Crow movie rights land at new studio and I'm like it's gonna be Sony it's gonna be Sony click the link oh yeah it's Sony yeah <laughs> this is like something like a smaller studio like I said this this is a should be a small movie yeah and I can't believe I can't believe Sony is taking a gamble on this one and this and i know this has become sort of a cliche sort of answer to things but this should be a eight part netflix series or something oh yeah you know i can sort of see it in the vein of like daredevil or whatever right i i could absolutely see that yeah and it would have to be better than the previous crow tv series that was on in syndication in the late 90s i forgot about that yeah i think i'm the only one who who remembers that that existed yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't have much interest or optimism about this one, but but we shall see if it if it see. actually, I mean, for 10 plus years it's been sort of wending its way through the GI tract of the Hollywood uh, development hell. So, yeah. We will see. Well, Brian, I'm hearing a sound and I think that means it's time for Star Wars news. Yeah, that it is, Zachy, and Oddly, we had a couple things lined up, but uh, it seems like something really big has just happened. There's been a disturbance in the force, if you will, that oh. uh, kind of trumps all other news right now. What, what happened now? Now, now this, is, this is not the first time this has happened. We had breaking news a few weeks ago with Ron Howard. Or not even, like, we didn't know it was Ron Howard, right? It was uh, uh, Lord and Miller got fired from Han Solo. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm assuming this is uh, just as earth-shattering as that. Yeah, I think it, it just may be in terms of Star Wars news, and it turns out we have another director departing the Star Wars universe, and that would be Colin Trevorrow from Episode Nine, which is kind of a big deal. Um, he it's it's interesting because he has become, as of late, a somewhat controversial choice for fans. It seems. Um, it seems most people kind of liked Jurassic World, but over time, their like for it has waned a bit. Sure. And he seemed, like, Ryan Johnson seemed like uh, a sort of fresh, oh, yeah, I could, s- I'm curious what he would do with Star Wars sort of choice for the films. And Colin Trevorrow, it was like, well, Jurassic World was competent, but it, it wasn't earth shattering. And then he had uh, the Book of Henry, which came out this past summer, which came and out to abysmal a dog piled, yeah. Yeah, so it seems what I was noticing on certain websites and all the comment sections were people kind of hoping Chavara would not be directing the film. And I remember I think I remember people thinking like I hope he doesn't end up directing this. I'm like, "Well, guys, I hate to break it to you, but he's signed on." So, yeah. And well, here we are. Right. So, I mean, this is the official statement from uh Lucasfilm. 
It says Lucasfilm and Colin Trevorrow have mutually chosen to part ways on Star Wars Episode Nine. Colin has been a wonderful collaborator throughout the development process, but we have all come to the conclusion that our visions for the project differ. We wish Colin the best, and we'll be sharing more information about the film soon. Now, yeah. it, let's if we're keeping score here, this is three directors of Star Wars project. I mean, four if you count you know, the Han Solo directors twice who've been at, at various stages in the production process, uh, who forced out in essence, no pun intended, uh, from the projects that they were directing. Yeah. And, and, and from what I understand, uh, Colin and his, I don't have his name right here, but his writing partner, were writing episode nine. Yes. So it just, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of cool in a way, how protective Lucasfilm is of their property. I mean, they seem to let these artists in and let them collaborate on what they're doing, but they also seem to have a firm idea of what is and isn't a direction they want to go in. Yeah. Right? And, and uh, Derek Connolly, by the way, is the name of uh, Trevorrow's writing partner. He also wrote uh, Jurassic World with him. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing here is about a month ago, beginning of August, and this didn't really get a lot of play, but uh, Lucasfilm brought on somebody to rewrite them on episode uh, mm. nine. Right? Somebody named Jack Thorne, who's known for, for being on TV on the BBC. And so that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the, the pieces were already in place for something to happen. Yeah, and maybe as these revisions rolled in, Trevorrow just couldn't get behind them so okay brian you're you're better at sort of punching through studio speak uh make make a completely uneducated guess about what you think went on here i think javaro with jurassic world i think he he came out with what was that time travel movie called it's tip of my brain book of henry no uh his first oh oh, uh, safety not guaranteed safety not guaranteed so he broke out with this lo-fi, exciting, high-concept debut that Steven Spielberg was very much behind and excited by, right? I mean, that was his first movie. And he goes right into Jurassic World, which I'm sure had a lot of hands guiding him, but probably allowed him to be a little bit himself. And Mm -hmm. it came out with a product that people liked, but I know myself, I've sort of, you know, I I don't feel as passionate about it as I did possibly when I was in the theater watching it. Jurassic World, you're talking about. Jurassic World, yeah. yeah. And then he, I mean, from Jurassic World, which is uh, made over a billion dollars, yeah. right? And then he gets, it seems like he would be a likely candidate to do a Star Wars film. And so, obviously, uh, Kathleen Kennedy is close with Steven Spielberg. Makes sense he would be put in the running and not surprisingly get the gig. But I wonder if it's too much too fast. Hmm. And and Star Wars is very regimented. Um by the the people who are running it so it it doesn't i mean i they even say like our our visions were were differ differing what's what's kind of nuts about this is that trevorrow has been involved since before episode seven even came out like he was one of the initial directors announced you're saying yeah i mean they announced him for episodes nine like summer of 15 like after oh, wow. right because because episode 7 came out in December 15 right yeah he was for sure he was already signed by that fall wow 
because because at the D23 convention they they had mentioned it. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I was just uh, a friend of mine had just uh emailed me this and I was writing him back and I just said, you know, this happens sometimes with like big films. You you get these directors attached and then something happens and then they leave and it's not much is made of it in most cases, but it's just unfortunate for Trevorrow that this is such a high profile film and he's being involved. It's a, it's a, for him, it's a really bad double whammy between book of Henry and then getting fired from this. Exactly. Like, exactly. like basically he's wiped out that billion dollars from Jurassic world. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know the guy. And uh, I, I've heard one interview with him one time. I think it was on Nerdist or something. And he seemed like a nice enough guy. Yeah. So, you know, I, I feel bad. I feel I bad ge- for I, what he's got to go through publicly I here. I genuinely feel bad for him. I really do. Because, because uh, like you said, I mean, just, just anecdotally, he seems like an intelligent guy. Seems to know how to handle this stuff. I, I was always impressed with whatever he had to say about Jurassic Park. And sort of his mentality going in, and and uh, you know, I I think I like Jurassic World slightly more than you, even now, in the sense that you know, I I think I I put all of the Jurassic sequels kind of in the same range. I don't hate them or adore them. I just think they're all fine. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's a shame. Now, now he let, let's let's again, in the absence of any information that we have, let's make some completely uh, uh, anecdotal guesses about uh, who we think will take over. Oh man, I honestly wouldn't even know where to begin if I'm being honest. Do, do you? Do you here, have someone? You know what? Here, here's my completely out there guesses. Uh, number one, this is like complete pie in the sky. Steven Spielberg. Uh, that would be unreal, right? To close yeah. out the trilogy. That would be amazing, but he does have Indiana Jones on the docket. That's true. So he, but think about that for a second. I have to imagine that he would at least consider it. Or be offered. for uh, Right. Absolutely. Given all the folks involved, obviously Kathy Kennedy. Uh, the other, this, this may be more likely, J.J. Uh, Abrams. Hmm. Yeah. You know? That would be interesting, wouldn't it? And then if, if we're going maybe slightly less likely, Lawrence Kasdan. Uh-huh. I could see him doing it, too. Or what about uh, Tony Gilroy? I, I yep. could see that I could see that as a potentiality, but here's why I don't see that happening. I don't uh-huh. like I don't think because the the perception is already that he was like the fix it guy for Rogue One. Yeah. So I don't think either they or he would want it the perception to be like, Oh, we've got to bring somebody in who's gonna fix it. Uh, I see. I right? See. Like like when you lose Lord and Miller, you need to get somebody like a Ron Howard. Right. So to me, in order to let everybody think that, okay, things are on track, your options are basically down to Spielberg and Abrams. That's my prediction. Hmm. And that would be crazy if... It seems like Abrams was very vocal about the fact that it was a strain for him to do that movie. Yeah. Even in his personal life. I believe so it. I wonder. But I think that if they came to him and they're, they're like, help us, JJ, you're only... <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, and, I mean, I don't, and I don't know. You I have to know. imagine he has a stake above and beyond being a star Wars fan of just wanting to make sure that the trilogy he started ends a certain way. Yeah. That was another thing I was thinking too. If Trevorrow was on one of these star Wars, is it called legacy? I already forgot. Whatever they call them. These side movies, like the the Han Solo movie, the stories, star Wars stories, star Wars stories. Maybe it would be a, a little bit of a different story because he could have 
some ideas about something going on in another part of the galaxy. But this is the closer to the new trilogy. Like, this is going to go a certain way. Yeah, and it needs to go a certain way because it needs to ensure that these films are able to stand comfortably alongside, you know, the ones that are already there. So uh, I'm thinking you got to go big. And you hire, again, you hire somebody who has name, instant name recognition and who could do this without causing a stir. I'm telling you. I'm, I'm going Spielberg. That's it. I'm putting my money down. I'm convincing myself. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm thinking it's uh, Spielberg or Abrams. Those are those are the two. It's going to be one of them. Yeah. Because I don't know how you could just be like random guy. You know what I mean? It needs to be a marquee enough name to 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 give comfort not only to the crew and cast. Although I mean I don't think they've started filming yet. Or have they actually? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. Right. Um, but it needs to it needs to assuage fears that the audience is going to have. Because obviously for Trevorrow, either before or after Book of Henry, there's been some uh, a disturbance in the force, if you will. I'm going to see how many puns I can work in here. <laughs> um, you, need, you need some, again, Ron Howard, pretty much even people who are not Ron Howard fans are like, well, we know the kind of production it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. You need somebody at that level. So that see, narrows it down. You're making me think even further. So... A big part of doing these movies also is sort of relinquishing your little details and nuances, right? So J.J. Abrams went in, and he, maybe story-wise, but visually it wasn't really a J.J. Abrams movie. It was a Star Wars movie, right? And Ron Howard, we've we've said, he's sort of that journeyman director who can go in and get the job done, right? right? But Spielberg makes Spielberg movies. It kind of makes me wonder, too, then, if he can sort of shed some of those things if he'd be but, willing to do that. I mean, you have to wonder if he would be interested in that just at this stage of his life, mix things up a little bit. Yeah. You know, I, I have to imagine that the idea of doing a Star Wars movie is, at least on some level, appealing to Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Because that's like the one brass ring he hasn't gotten hold of yet. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then also, I mean, I, I assume he would consult his friend, George. Yeah. And because that's another story that's been going around is how Lucas, you know, sometimes he has Lucasfilm's ear from time to time, but he seems to be pretty much pushed out. Yeah. So you wonder if he'd be like, hey, George, <laughs> like this cool? <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know what, Stephen, I know you listen to the show. We're, we're going to go ahead and say do it. I know hey, he's got my vote. We're probably the deciding vote for you. So uh, yeah. I think I'm, I'm, I'm authorized to speak on Brian's behalf and say, you know what? Go ahead and do it, Steve. You think right now he's listening going, well, well gee, Kate, I, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I guess they need me. Yeah. <laughs> he's putting on his Jedi cloak <laughs> and getting it done. Well, that's, that's pretty crazy. And I have every certitude that just like with the the uh with the lord and miller thing the news will be rapid about mm-hmm. what went on and who's hired and everything else so uh although the 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 one thing that's working in lucasfilm's favor is that they have a little bit more flexibility to pick their they don't need to announce a guy like you know by tomorrow right uh right. So, so that's kind of working in their favor but again i think i think you can't just have random guy it's got to be somebody with a certain amount of cachet mm-hmm. so we'll see i'm assuming that by the next time we record next week, we'll have something to say. I would assume, yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's take a little break, and then we've got our focus for this episode, which is the summer movie season that just ended. 
And we're back, Brian. Uh, so summer movie season has ended, as as tends to be. The, the, the rough approximation is first weekend of May to Labor Day weekend is when summer movies come out. And this summer movie season has been borderline disastrous in terms of box office. Yeah, I mean, that's the headline. That's not just our opinion. <laughs> And and it's it's interesting to look at the stuff that came out, the stuff that played, the stuff that didn't. So as we usually do, uh, let's just kind of go down the line and, and look at some of the big releases this summer and maybe the stuff that, that didn't get seen and, and see, A, what we thought and if our thoughts have changed and, you know, what, what the general uh, reaction was by audiences. Mm-hmm. So I guess, uh, just to start things off, we'll go slightly before summer with uh, Fate of the Furious, which opened at the tail end of April. Yeah. Uh, you know what's funny about Fate of the Furious? So this is Fast and Furious 8, and, and it's it's the very definition of a pre-sold franchise. And yeah. in hindsight, I should have seen this as an indicator of how summer was going to feel, where it would just be a bunch of tired sequels. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's and it is weird because that was the narrative of last summer. Yes, and it's just the tradition continues. So I mean, I mean, have you thought about Fate of the Furious at all? N- no, <laughs> I, find, I I will continue to show up for Fast and Furious movies, but I think I kind of burned out with them, beginning with Seven. Okay, uh, and I know that was sort of the big one. Yeah, um, sadly because of paul walker's passing and it was it was a really fun experience but i five is still my favorite six i don't remember at all except for the never-ending plane runway in the yes uh, (laughs) right (laughs) and then yeah and then seven was like a big sort of event but i didn't think about it eight i haven't thought about it since we left they bring out the next one i'll see it because they are fun to watch in the moment i mean the whole submarine chase at the end and the rock grabbing a missile and being like oh no you don't and throwing the missile in another direction i mean that's right. that's fun in the moment but i seeing that this came out in april i kind of blows my mind it feels like a, even longer you, you know i mean the the box office story here is that it made 1.16 billion dollars so massive hit yeah but, yeah but when you no look, slowing down when you look on well but when you look underneath those numbers it becomes a little more interesting first of all it cost 250 million dollars which is uh 60 million more than the last one but mm. it made 225 million so it made less than its budget domestically mm. but also furious 7 made domestically 350 million dollars that's understandable there was a big curiosity factor with that one don't you think but more than a hundred million dollars less. Yeah, that's like, yeah. That but feels, it's still that like a one point like a... five billion dollar movie. I mean, that's right. Is Wonder Woman even there yet? Well, so well, Furious Seven was one point five billion. Furious, Furious Eight is one point one six billion. Oh, one six. I'm sorry. I was one. I thought it was one point six. Yeah, I mean, which still. I mean, that ain't nothing, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, there's there's going to be two more of these Fast and Furious movies, and then they're they're calling it a day yeah yeah which that seems like the time yeah and then you got to wonder how long till they reset <laughs> or figure out some other pocket of the universe That's, to they'll, they'll, yeah i mean i i can't imagine universal is ever gonna let this brand die completely no i mean when part eight is making over a billion dollars worldwide business wise yeah. you do, you don't you, you don't you, stop you have enough gas in the tank to at least uh, come to whatever conclusion you you intend to <laughs> right uh <laughs> Uh, 
gas in the tank. Oh, yeah. hey, that was unintentional. That was unintentional, actually. I didn't realize. <laughs> nice. Pat myself on the back for that. Yeah. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, though, that was uh, uh, early May. Yeah, and second largest hit of the summer domestically. Yeah, domestically. So. so, so this one, yeah, two two hundred million dollar budget. This one made nearly four hundred million. Yeah. Uh, which which isn't nothing, and so worldwide about eight hundred sixty three million, and critically very well received. So here we have, I think, one of the few sequels that actually bucked the trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it outperformed its budget domestically, almost doubled its budget domestically. Uh, did really well internationally. Critics liked it, audiences liked it. Seems like the sweet spot. Yep. Have yep. you had and a chance then... to re- revisit it? I haven't, but I I look forward to it. Yeah. Um, and James Gunn has said that the next one, the third one, volume three will be the last one of this incarnation of the guardian. So it just seems like the perfect surprise little trilogy. Yeah. That, within uh, this massive, uh, mega, yeah. mega franchise. Yeah. I yeah, think, so. I think the guardians movies, I know, I know that it, it's interesting. I mean, I've just anecdotally just been monitoring people's reaction and it seems like, uh, People dislike it more now than they did when it came out, the, the second Guardians movie. Uh, I, I watched bits and pieces of it over the past week, and I think it's it's available uh, on, on uh, home video now. And, and I don't know. I, you know, I think it really holds up. I think it's a very solid sequel. And, and when we talked about it back in, in, in May, we, we compared it to The Empire Strikes Back, and I do see aspects of that mm-hmm. in this. And I, and I have to imagine that's by design. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and uh, just on a little side note, when we were at Target wandering, looking at Star Wars stuff, I was sort of laughing because they were selling an MP3 player, a Guardians yes. of the Galaxy MP3 player that was designed to look like a Walkman. Right. And I just found that amusing because I very funny. owned a Walkman <laughs> <laughs> at one point. <laughs> now, uh, also in May, King Arthur came out. Remember that? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I still haven't caught that. Uh, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, which was meant to be uh, a franchise starter. Yes. Uh, they, they they were a little too ambitious. They said that it was going to be uh, the first of six movies. I mean, come on. Now, <laughs> now this, now look at this. $175 million budget. It made $39 million domestically. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that, that takes some hubris. It really it's does. One thing to say a trilogy and to you know your 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 uh, other crew is like okay, well, but really six. But we'll just we'll tease three and see what happens. I right. mean, to go out and say you're going to make six. Mo- I mean, come on. Well, and the the thing of the movie, I mean, it, I'm I'm tired of of uh, trilogy starters that don't come to some kind of dramatic conclusion. Yes. You know, I th- I think the problem with King Arthur, uh, this one, the, the Legend of the Sword, is that it. It ends just as the story of King Arthur begins, mm. and to me, this normally what you see in this movie would be like the first forty-five minutes, right? You know, um, and yeah, the, the hubris, exactly. The idea that oh my gosh, people are clamoring for a King Arthur movie. Yeah, uh, not to say that you can't get a great King Arthur movie, but you can't let the title be the thing that's going to sell it because people don't care, right? You know. So, uh, $107 foreign. So, it didn't even make its budget back globally. $146 million worldwide against a $175 million budget. Entirely predictable, again. Yes, and I don't... I had no interest in it at all. And that's... 
I I think I've said before I don't have much of an interest in sort of medieval stories typically. Right. right. Though I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan because That's I for love the, the incest. characters. Oh. You know what I mean? Because what? The incest. Oh right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but I I don't know. I don't know how you get me someone like me. How do you get me excited about a King Arthur movie? I don't know. Because clearly, you know, I didn't even make forty million domestic. I mean, I don't know what you change to get people to show up for that. I don't know. I, and it, what makes it doubly a shame, and I've said this to you before, is that I would love nothing more than to see an amazing King Arthur movie that yeah. lives up to the, the the mythology, which is fantastic. You know, there's no reason you couldn't give it the Lord of the Rings treatment. Right. I think Guy Ritchie's just the wrong guy to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, other releases that uh, were meant to be big and didn't didn't work out so well. Alien Covenant, yeah, and and this is one that that uh, I mean, it seems like it may have killed the Alien franchise. Yeah, you wonder, and it's funny because Ridley Scott has said he's he's ready to go for the next one. I mean, this is something he wants to keep making. It's sort of like James Cameron and Avatar. This is the thing he wants to keep pumping out for the. Next I I few think years. what what could potentially save the future for this is that it cost $97 million. Mm. So that's a relative bargain. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, I'm trying to think, I mean, I mean, Prometheus made more, but it cost more. Right. So this one, the, this new, so Prometheus is like 130. This one is less than a hundred million, but I mean, domestically, I, I think people just aren't interested. I mean, it, it made 74 million domestically and then another 160 foreign, right? So, about 230. I think I think if you're going to make more of these, which I'm not opposed to, I despised Alien Covenant. There's like a whole thing already taking shape. Like, no, no, it's the world's most, the year's most under, uh, you know, underrated, or like people didn't understand it. It's like, no, I understood it. It's just shit. <laughs> right. Well, it's just, it's one of those things where it gets frustrating when it's a whole cast of characters behaving stupidly stupidly and and uh it's it the film itself doesn't seem to care about its characters yes yes uh so i mean i i think i and i'm somebody who i love the alien franchise even as it has more bad films in it than good it feels like um but when ridley scott's like i have a story i want to finish well i don't know about you but i want him to be able to finish his story Mm mm-hmm yeah, I certainly don't think this is where it should end. So I'm I'm torn where it's like I hated this movie, but I still want him to finish his story. I mean, I'll keep showing up. Honestly, I I love the way it looked. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting movie. how the the advertising went all in on. No, we really have a xenomorph in this, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, that was in every single ad. The, the the where it was stuck on the outside of that ship. That's yeah, and and I think the same thing is kind of King Arthur. I think they thought that that imagery was enough to get people into theaters, right? And I think that's a mistake. Yeah. Uh, what came out shortly after Alien Covenant was Pirates. See, you know, it's funny. I forgot about Pirates. <laughs> but you know, it's funny. I sort of have too, but I can't deny that I had a good time during it. That was when we did our review. I was like, heaven help me. I kind of I had fun. <laughs> so now, now here's a movie that is perceived as a disappointment, but still did pretty well. Yeah, what 172 million domestic? Domestically, it made almost 800 million worldwide, and that's against a 230 million dollar budget. So I mean, if Disney, if this is Disney's farewell to this franchise, 
they they at least they didn't embarrass themselves in terms of how much money it made. Yeah. But I am done, done, done with Jack Sparrow. And I'm not somebody who's been along for the ride the whole time. I mentioned this earlier that I, I watched them all. I mainlined them for about a week. Mm-hmm. And by the end, I was tired, exhausted. And, and I was like uh, uh, Javier Bardem's character. I wanted to find Jack Sparrow. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing that all summer to raise on people. <laughs> find and I, I think... Well, that one I didn't care about the story. (laughs) Sorry, I'm stepping. I'm just gonna keep doing. I'm gonna keep doing it. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't care about the story. I didn't care about the characters. I just appreciated a really well done adventure film. It could have been about anything, but I thought the direction and the action in the movie was surprisingly fresh. Where where I landed was. I, I was just like, I do not like Johnny Depp as his character. I yeah. find him fundamentally, at best, annoying, at worst, unlikable. And so I by the time it came to number five, I'm like, oh, God, two more hours with this guy? <laughs> it's like you're stuck in a car with, with somebody who you despise. Right. It's like me when I'm yeah. in the car with my kids. I just it, It's just... <laughs> uh, I'm kidding, of course. Only a few of my kids. Um, anyway, moving on. <laughs> Uh, well, the, the, the opposite of, and by the way, it's funny. Jerry Bruckheimer is like, no, 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 no. It was a huge hit. I'm like, oh really? Jerry Bruckheimer. You're not going to try to put the best face on a bad situation. Yeah. Yeah. If no, no dog in this fight, right? Jerry Bruckheimer, producer, Jerry Bruckheimer. <laughs> uh, would you watch another pirates movie though? For the sake of the show. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I would have seen this one if it weren't for the show. Touche. There we go. Uh, Wonder Woman, the number one movie of the summer. Yeah. Number one. Budget. I don't know. I knew it was going to do well. Yes. But I don't know that I would have predicted it would have been the number one I, movie of the summer. I saw the trailer last year, and I was like, it's looking like it's going to be good. That was number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, assuming it's good, I have no reason to think it won't perform. I never in a million years would have believed that it would be it would beat all comers. And it would continue to play, by the way. Mm-hmm. It, this thing opened in in uh, beginning of June. It has played straight through the summer, which is damn near unheard of. Yeah, yeah. And I I saw it more than once in the theater, and I enjoyed it more the second time. So I mean, it's a good movie doing well. So it's that's great. Yeah, and and in terms of the the comic book or the superhero genre, here are the top five movies. Number one is the Avengers. Number two is The Dark Knight. Uh, number three is Age of Ultron. Number four is The Dark Knight Rises. And number five is Wonder Woman. Wow. Yeah, and that's that's domestically. Mm-hmm. So that's not internationally. But still, I mean, massive, massive win for Warner Brothers. I don't think there's any way to to try to dog this. This is just good reviews. Audiences love it. it it's, the, it's, the, it's the triple crown. Mm-hmm. You know, and I hope that they learn the right lessons from this as they move forward. I mean, obviously, uh, we're going to see Wonder Woman front and center for a lot of the promo for the Justice League movie, I have to imagine. Yeah. But I'm telling you, I'm hoping that this is good news for the Aquaman movie, which is filming right now. Yeah. Yeah. And it felt this movie felt very different than Batman versus Superman and even Man of Steel. Um, so yeah, hopefully each character gets the movie befitting them. Yeah. You know what I wouldn't mind doing, Brian? 
I was hmm. thinking about this. I was like, before Justice League comes out, I wouldn't mind watching BVS again with you and, and doing a track over that. Sure. I think that could be something really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm one of the people, I didn't think much of it in the theater, and then I watched the director's cut, and it didn't suddenly make it a masterpiece, but yeah. it did enhance it, definitely. Yeah, I mean, maybe we watch it and we talk through, I mean, just not, not dogging on the movie, but, you know, stuff that yeah. works, stuff that, you know, like we do in our tracks. Yeah. That might yeah. be a fun one. Folks, let us know. Is that something you'd want to hear? I, I'm, I'm down for it, but, you know. Sure, same. Uh, anywho, you know, a, a movie that opened just after Wonder Woman is Captain Underpants. Yeah, yeah. Nobody watched Which I did not this. see, but... <laughs> nobody. Well, nobody did. You're not alone. Right. And I really like this movie. I know. I, 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 you're not the only person I've heard say that, too. I mean, I didn't... We were talking about this, actually, while you were out here, too. There's certain movies that come out that are animated. And it's funny, this whole thing now where we as adults go even go see the animated movies, where our parents, I doubt, did. Right. And when they don't hit us at three multiple levels and make us cry and you know whatever like a pixar movie the pixar like, well, effect wasn't any good but it's, it's nice that there are some animated movies that are still squarely aimed at kids right yeah and this this was definitely that i mean i my kids are right in that wheelhouse of just loving the books the captain mm-hmm. underpants books and i'm you know i'm obviously i'm a few decades past that being of interest to me uh but it was very cute. It's it's a fun little movie. Uh, I don't need a bunch of sequels, but I am kind of disappointed that more people didn't go see this because I just think it's a nice, you know, uh, a well made. Yeah, yeah. It, it. You know, I mean, I, I've said before. I mean, there's there's good kids movies and there's bad kids movies, and there were a few bad kids movies this summer. Uh, Captain Underpants was one of the better ones. Yeah. Nice. Uh, a, a movie that came out just after Captain Underpants, which also nobody watched, is The Mummy. We saw it. We did. We're the few, the proud. <laughs> yeah, and and you know the 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 box office story here is is not a pleasant one. One hundred twenty five million dollar budget, eighty million dollars domestically, yeah, three hundred twenty seven million foreign. So so I think the foreign and worldwide, to, foreign and domestic together ends up being about forty four hundred seven, which isn't a total embarrassment. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think all told, they end up making their money back, but. Is that enough to build a shared cinematic universe off of? Right. I mean, they were all in. Again, I, I wouldn't call it hubris. I think this was excitement. <laughs> yes. Uh, but just saying, hey, uh, we're going to do ca- this. I call it hubris, too, this one. Yeah. I mean, I think with this one, though, at least, they're like, we have this stable of characters, and we're going to make movies about them, starting with this one. I think that's understandable to announce, right? Okay. Um. But maybe putting the whole branding on it, like the dark universe, get ready, everybody. Maybe that's the sort of, <laughs> yeah, I mean, know, look out, Marvel. We got another cinematic right? universe in the, yeah, and that, this, that, that, that's a little hubris. This, this kills me because I legit love the classic monsters and I would love to see them viable in a, a universe. You know, I think, I think if we're talking about a monster universe, Kong Skull Island, which opened in, in spring, that's how you do it. Right. Because I'll tell you, that movie ends, and after the credits, they do a little tease of Godzilla. And I, who going into Kong Skull Island was like, I could not care less about a movie called Kong vs. Godzilla, was like, take my money, I want to watch Kong fight Godzilla. <laughs> right. You know? So I, I have no idea if what's going to happen with this Dark Universe thing. Have they actually started filming any of the follow-up movies? Uh, I, I don't know. 
Because I think the I next know. one was Bride of Frankenstein, right? Yeah, with Angelina Jolie. So this this is how like vaporous the movie is. Is, is ha, has she officially signed on? Like, is that? I I don't know, but it, you know what also is telling is we're unabashed Tom Cruise fans. Yes, we're like when he does something, we get excited about it. But yes, we did not think much of this movie. And you know, it's funny too because I I was telling you I just recently watched Jack Reacher two, which I had missed. Yes, and it, it wasn't very good. That wasn't and very good. The either. Mummy wasn't very good either. And you're like, ooh, like the reason I like Tom Cruise so much is he's kind of dependable. His movies tend to be dependable. He picks so. movies that land within a certain range. Yeah, so it was a little surprising that these two were. I don't know. I don't know exactly where they went wrong. They kind of snuck by him. It feels like. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, the, his his usual shields that he has that filter out kind of terrible movies. Yeah. You know? I don't know. Uh, other sequels that came out, Cars 3, I did not see. But uh, this one was also a disappointment. Yeah, it came in, what, number seven, I guess? For the yeah, summer domestic? Yeah, and... and uh, uh, About 150. I, I think in, in terms of the, the, the budget, they don't, they don't release the budget, but, but Cars 1 made $245 million, Cars 2 made 190 Cars 3 made 150 So I think that... Uh, the world has spoken. Yeah, but I mean, <clears throat> you know, these are merchandise movies, right? Yeah. It seems. I don't know. See, the the thing with me is is I'm always, like, I, I watch these Cars movies, and maybe I'm overthinking it, but I'm just like, who who drives these cars? Like, you, you know, cars <laughs> are designed based on human ergonomics. Yeah. Like, why do cars have handles on their doors? How can you, you know, have a planet of cars? It doesn't make sense. I've seen so many people say this. So you are clearly not alone, but I don't know. I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> like I can just hop in and like their cars, they have eyeballs. Fine. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't bother me. I think I mean I haven't if, seen. I'll tell you, any I of think them since you know one, what? But. If the world if there were people in the world that like if it was like Toy Story. Yeah. That would I'd buy that more. Yeah. Than a world because I'm just like what happened to the people? Is this like Planet of the Apes but with cars? Right. It all started with the self-driving cars. Yeah. And then they evolved into this. They took over. Which which is terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Horrifying implications. Exactly. Uh, uh, speaking of talking cars, uh, Transformers: The Last Night. Mm-hmm. That was a fun review. Oh my god! I I think uh, that that. Uh, that may have been one of our best episodes where it was just you and me venting at each other. <laughs> yeah. Over the well, mic. that one too. I mean, those are the, I think we're continually baffled by how well they do. And this one didn't do so great. This one didn't do good. So the last one made more than a billion dollars worldwide. This one made $604 million. So quite a uh, steep drop. That's, that's a ma- about $500 million less worldwide. Yeah, which is of course the perfect time for that to happen if you're about to launch a whole bunch of spinoffs. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're thrilled about the implications for their you know Bumblebee movie. Yeah, this was the first movie that came out of that whole writers' room that was assembled over at Paramount for this. Yeah, so so franchise. I mean, it, this is one of those things where I mean we've talked about it before, so I'm not going to dr- drive this into the wall, but like. The fact that it took this long for audiences to realize that they're not into this. Like, that that's curious to me. You know, five movies in. 
When I don't feel like anything's changed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing I've said before is that the measure of how good your first movie is can be seen in how many bad sequels people are willing to tolerate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. And the thing here is that I don't think the first Transformers is so amazing. I think it's okay. Yeah. But, like, was it so good that people kept going because they want to recapture some of the glory of that first one? You know what I mean? That's funny. I mean, that could be applied to the Pirates film. Pirates, too. Exactly. Yeah. I think people, and I'm certainly not somebody who loved the first Pirates movie, but just anecdotally, people really liked it. And I feel like every time a new one comes out, they want to recapture that. Hmm. Like, why are we yeah. Why are we excited to see a new Indiana Jones movie? Because <laughs> we love the first one. Yeah, because we're, yeah. you know, a little piece of that, right? So it's yeah. it's kind of like... Every good sequel you have after a, f- a good first movie, you're like extending the brand. But every bad sequel you have after the first one is just a test of how much people really liked the first one. Yeah. But that's, I mean, Transformers, again, it's like, well, why? Why, yep. Brian? Why? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, this this may be the end. It, at the very least, it's the end of the Michael Bay Transformers era, so something yes. different you know i i can't say i have any great enthusiasm for the bumblebee movie but mm-hmm. i'm mildly curious to see somebody other than michael bay do something in this universe i i am too i'm very curious what it, it will look and feel like and interestingly enough it takes place in the 80s <laughs> much like the joker film that's 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 our isn't it sad now that our childhood is now the period era <laughs> the period piece yeah yeah <laughs> that's funny uh, but hey, after after Transformers was Spider Man Homecoming. Um, let's not forget the Beguiled. Did you see the Beguiled? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let me bring it up because I saw it. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Spider Man Homecoming. Well, so Sofia Coppola did did, did uh, Beguiled, right? Yeah, who I'm a fan of, and I think what I said at the time, and I stand by this. It's not going to blow, knock your socks off, but it it felt like a decent adaption of a short story you would have read in high school okay what it felt like. actually before before that sounds like exactly what i got from the trailers yeah um a despicable me three actually before even homecoming this this is feels like one of those like under the radar smash hits yeah i mean i don't have kids so maybe i would yeah. be more tapped into that if i I, did, I, I didn't see the third one but i mean it seems like this is the way you want to do it you spend 80 million dollars and you make nearly a billion dollars mm-hmm that's right. I mean, that's that's just smart. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, those minion characters cannot be underestimated. Ugh, I'm so tired of the minions. <laughs> I really am. Really, I I don't know. Maybe because I haven't watched all of them, I still find them amusing. I'm I'm so but... sick of the I'm sick of the movie. I'm sick of them. I'm, <laughs> I'm just I'm just sick of it all, Brian. <laughs> that's really funny well um, before spider-man i also want to bring up baby driver which was probably yes. my favorite film of the summer I hey so- sony had a smash hit there's a sentence you don't tend to say often yeah yeah and i i loved it i mean there were there were a lot i loved i loved wonder woman and and whatnot but i i really love this movie i i wasn't sure about it i i love edgar wright and seeing the trailers i wasn't sure what it was going to be or if i was going to like it or not but uh i i saw this one twice as well i had the opportunity to see it twice and i really like this movie a lot so i was very happy it made uh over 100 million yeah which is a big deal for an edgar that's the highest grossing edgar wright movie it it basically uh made the exact same amount domestically and internationally so we have about 210 million give or take against a 34 million dollar budget that's all upside if you're sony yep 
And that's yep. the template you should be following. Yeah. Get get quirky, talented filmmakers. Don't spend a lot. You know, and 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 roll the dice. But but you know, like, like let's say Baby Driver didn't perform. You're talking about at most a fifty million dollar loss. Right. Right, and that's something you make up for if you're Sony because you have despicable me. Did Sony had a good summer actually. Now that no, 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 that they're uh, Universal. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Uh, 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 you, dis- you, if you're Sony, you wait for the Dark Tower to make that up. The, oops. All right, we'll get there in a second. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about Spider-Man: Homecoming. Smash hit this thing. Well, speaking of Sony, now Sony. This is like the if if you can point to like a good thing to come out of the Sony hack, it's this. Yes, right. Because you know, remember when the Sony documents were hacked? One of the things that got leaked is that they'd considered partnering with Marvel. And once that got out, people were like, "Yes, partner with Marvel." Yep. And that's how it happened. And so, what did they do? They basically went to Marvel and they're like, "Can you make our Spider-Man movies for us?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Marvel was like, "Don't mind if we do." Yeah, and honestly, I mean, that, uh, I don't know if humility is the right word, but it's just sort of an awareness, and, uh, well, this just makes sense, and good on them for doing that. It it benefited everybody. Spider-Man Homecoming accomplished a couple things. Number one, it introduced Spider-Man as a viable solo character, again, by virtue of him being part of this universe, which is awesome. It also introduced who I think is like the perfect actor in Tom Holland. Mm-hmm. Uh, so good and then uh, number three and perhaps most importantly it it chopped avi arad out of the creative chain mm. uh for these movies at least the spider-man movies yeah not not the spider-man spin-off movies which so sony is intent on snatching defeat from the jaws of victory <laughs> which is why they're doing these all these spin-off movies but man did i love spider-man homecoming i can't wait to watch it again yeah me too me too uh, and I, I love whenever I talk about the Marvel movies, I love talking about my parents cause they watch all of them. <laughs> and, uh, my dad texted me after he saw Spider-Man and he was just like four stars. <laughs> I <laughs> wow. really loved. Yeah. And then, you know, it also, my parents, when they watch films, they rarely will bring up an actor like, Oh, okay. this guy was great. They just talk about the overall experience. And with this one, my dad was like, that kid was great. Really? So yeah, he, he was, he was great. Yeah. So, and even even my parents, he stood out enough for my parents to even bring it up. So that's kind of impressive. Wow. Yeah. Uh, what was next, Brian? On the on the uh, list of picks? Big Sick. Now, Big which Sick, was, I I have not seen. You saw it. Yeah. Which uh, for being a small release, did really well. Like it hung in the top ten there for a while, and it was a nice change of pace. Yeah. You know, sort of a, a character dramedy, I guess you could call it. Even though I think it leaned kind of into comedy. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'd say check it out. I thought it was a nice little surprise and I think it's definitely going to find its audience once it's out streaming and whatnot. I would imagine. And, and I'm somebody who, I remember seeing Kumail Nanjiani on Conan, like way, way back in the day. And this was like one of his first appearances, just doing stand up before Silicon Valley, all this stuff. And I was like, this guy's hilarious. Mm-hmm. And yep. so the fact that he's now kind of one of the big indie success stories of the summer, that's really awesome. I'm happy yeah. for him. I really like him a lot. And, you know. and this is a great I mean, well, he wrote it, and it's based on his life. But I was going to say this is a really great showcase for him. Yeah, and if you're interested, go go back into the archives of uh, how did this get made? The podcast, how did this get made? Uh, he did he guessed it on an episode where they looked at Leprechaun in the Hood. <laughs> it's very funny. That's funny. 
Now, uh, moving on to one of my biggest disappointments of the summer, Brian, and then I'm talking about War for the Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. In in what respect? Well, not in terms of it being a quality film, which it completely is, but the fact that all you friggin' people out there don't recognize quality and you don't go to the theater and pay money to see it. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Uh, War for the Planet of the Apes, uh, I loved it. I know you enjoyed it. Critics were uh, just over the moon, I mean, uh, from the jump. And people who saw it seemed to like it. Uh, Mm -hmm. This thing cost $150 million, so it actually cost less than Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which I think was something like 180. But it made $144 million domestically and another $222 million internationally. So we're looking at $366 million uh, against a $150 million budget, which isn't disastrous. Mm-hmm. But let's not kid ourselves. That's nowhere near where Fox wanted to be, especially when the last one made something like seven hundred million worldwide. Yeah, I wonder wh- why that happened. I mean, that being the sequel, and yeah. so many people arrived for that. Why did they not show up again? I don't know. I mean, the 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 previous film made two hundred eight million domestically, so substantially more than this one domestically, and then four and five hundred million. Yeah. So I mean that's a major drop from 700 million worldwide to 360 million. I don't get it because it's not like it's a shit movie. Right. I mean the word of mouth and critical response is good. So I mean I don't know. You know, I we uh, we were talking with somebody over the weekend who said, you know, maybe they just mistitled it. Right. And I've seen that online where they were saying they should have rearranged the titles. But that's something you can only think about in hindsight. Yeah, in hindsight, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes should have been War for the Planet of the Apes. Absolutely. Right. But, okay, well, what do you do about that? You can't do anything. I yeah, wonder if I, it was just too too bleak. That's possible. We we yeah. live in a time where the, the circumstances that led to the Planet of the Apes could conceivably happen. <laughs> right. This could all be the inception. You know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe people just aren't in the mood for apocalyptic fiction right now. That's possible. I mean, I don't exactly recall what the advertising looked like for the second one. But yeah, this one was very cold and blue and wintry looking. And maybe that's just not what people wanted in the middle of their summer. I don't know. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, it's a shame. I do think that it will be discovered in the long run. I hope. Yeah. I, I hope that, that that's what happens. But uh, kind of disappointing there. Uh, uh, Dunkirk opened a, a week after and and this has been one of the big success stories of the summer yeah yeah it's it's funny because his past films have felt christopher nolan i'm sorry yes christopher nolan i mean obviously we're talking about batman here and then inception was on the heels of the dark knight so they felt Inter- interstellar interstellar like they just felt like massive events this one like, wasn't right it felt kind of under the radar a little bit, yeah, but it's still for being a World War II movie in the middle of the summer. It did really well. It's kind of amazing to me that it only cost a hundred million dollars. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's just a smart, smart filmmaker. He's a smart filmmaker, and and I think that Dunkirk was a tonic for just what felt like sequel onslaught. Mm-hmm. And maybe, by the way, maybe that's what Planet of the Apes suffered from just as much as anything else. Yeah, uh, it might have been a better fall movie, but that's I mean, that's maybe that's just in hindsight. But um, I'll tell you what. The, uh, sorry, I'm talking about apes again. What, what I'm realizing now, they should have held apes for August. Because mm, sure, because n- nothing was playing in August. Yeah, Hitman's Bodyguard is number one for three weekends. That means you had an opening. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, for sure. Right. But anyway, Dunkirk, uh, we, you and I both liked it a lot when, when, when we first talked about it just a few weeks ago. But man, I, I, I'll tell you, uh, the imagery and stuff has really stayed with me. Yeah, it's a really memorable experience for sure. I mean, it's one of those movies where it kind of puts you in the driver's seat. Like you are front row to all the events that are happening in a really co- away from a, f- that could only happen from a filmmaker as competent as Christopher Nolan. So Yeah. And uh, opening uh, same day as Dunkirk was another massive hit, which I, I have not seen, but it's worth pointing out here. Girls Trip. Yeah. Yeah. That was another sort of low budget. $19 million. What's, I'm sorry? $19 million. Wow. And it currently is at $112 million. D- Domestically, yeah. Yeah, domestically. So, yeah, and it's uh, sitting right now top 10. It's in the top 10 of the summer. So it's just it just so, seems uh, t- to be the, the thing to do if people are paying attention. Make these smaller movies, you know, that are good. And uh, I don't know. They can yeah, pay off big. I mean, I mean, there are undernourished niches that are yep. worth targeting, you know? Yep. Uh, the, the week after Baby Driver, sorry, the week after uh, Girls Trip, excuse me, was um, the Emoji Movie, which I'm assuming you haven't seen. No. Uh, Wait, did you? I can't remember. I I, I, I put my foot down, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm stopping the madness. I'm not doing this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that cost fifty million, and unfortunately, it's made 160 worldwide. So I guess that would be considered a hit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure not a runaway hit like they probably anticipated, but uh, but yeah. people showed up. Yeah, damn them. <laughs> and then you know, basically, once we came into August, it was kind of a dead zone. Yeah, I mean, it, that's been in the news recently. I, I mean, the... I mean, the the opening weekend of of August was the Dark Tower, mm-hmm. and I think Sony sort of expected that that would take the Suicide Squad slash Guardians of the Galaxy crown of opening in early August and just playing for the month. Yeah. They didn't make a good movie, though. Yeah, and that was kind of the headline, right? I mean, that got out, and it seems like people paid attention. Yeah, well, and and we talked about that recently enough that no point going into that again, but, I mean, the, the, the movie has not performed. No, and like you just said, I mean, it's it's not a good movie. It feels like a movie they were striving to make something, realized they didn't had it, have it, and just took what they had and threw some Band-Aids on it and some Scotch tape and just threw it out anyway. I mean, that's what it feels like. Which, honestly, is probably the, the lesson to be learned. Is like, if you know you're going to lose, just lose as small as possible. Right. Right. Because you can see the scenario where a studio would be like, let's, okay, reshoots, let's go, let's fix it. And, and that doesn't always pay off. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) That was funny. And I I think we forgot to mention it in our review, but it was interesting. Clearly, clearly they did do some reshoots. Yes. And it's funny because the boy, because he's of a certain age, he clearly is now like, a teenager. He goes from like preteen to teen, from scene <laughs> to scene, <laughs> which was kind of funny. Yeah, the, I mean, uh, you know, I I look at like World War Z from a couple of years ago, and that's something where was that Paramount? Mm, yeah, I think so. I think so, right? Well, whoever it was, wait, I need to look that up because that's going to bug me. I'm fairly certain it was. It was, yeah, yeah, Paramount. So, so they gambled 
on going back to the well and basically reshaping the the back half of that movie, right? Right. And it paid off. Mm-hmm. Huge hit. Biggest hit Brad Pitt's ever had. Yeah. But how often does that happen? Right, right. Right, because usually it's the exact opposite story. Because because the truth is there's no reason World War Z should have played as well as it did. Yeah. And and I think with Dark Tower, they would have just been throwing good money after bad. Right. So I think the the approach they took was all right. Let's just we spent sixty million. Let's just take the hit and move on. Right. Now, what makes this a shame is that this is a decades long successful property that essentially Sony just t- tossed into the circle file. Yeah. And know. Idris Elba was we agreed very very good in it. Yeah. His character is very interesting, he but it's just better. too bad that he didn't have a good movie to support him. Yeah. And they're still planning some kind of a TV series. I, and and as far as I know, it, it will have nothing to do with the movie. Well, that maybe that's what it was destined to be. Yeah. It, it should have been that all along. Yeah. Right? And that essentially brings us to the end of our summer wrap-up. I mean, any, any other stories here that jump out? Logan Lucky didn't play at all? Yeah, and Atomic Blonde, I feel like, had a huge buildup in advertising and just didn't seem to connect like I think people expected but, it to. But it did, I mean, it 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 made like $50 million, right? Which is maybe what you want a movie like that to make. Yeah, I don't know what John Wick numbers are, but you assumed it would... I don't know, John Wick, it seems like, became a part of the conversation. But John Wick became a, convers- a conversation subject after the fact. Yeah, that's true. I was going to say I, I I thought this one would do better than it did. did you I didn't see think it, it was going to I did not see it. Did you see 10, it? But, I'm sorry. Did you see it? I didn't see it. No, no, I didn't. I I had expected I would, but I I didn't. Yeah, I was kind of in the same boat. So so let's look at the numbers here just head to head. John Wick cost 20 million and it made 43 million. Oh. Um hmm. Atomic Blonde cost 30 million and it made 50 million. Yeah. This is domestically. Uh, worldwide, Atomic Blonde made $90 million. I'm, I, I, Not having seen it, I think a movie like Atomic Blonde making almost $100 million, you file that in the win column. Yeah. Especially yeah, against a right. $30 million budget. Yeah. You know, I mean, that that's like what you spend on this movie. Oh, oh totally agree with that, for you sure. Know? Oh, and I guess we should probably mention uh, Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets. Oh, yeah. That, that's, the, uh, that's exactly what you don't spend on that movie. Yeah. So I mean... The, it, yeah. Did, I mean, did you see it again? This is when I missed it. No, but this was one I really did want to see in a theater, and I just kind of missed it. Just because it looked like such a seventy-seven million dollars, hundred and seventy-seven. Are you Budget. out of your mind? Yeah, that's how much they spent. And here domestically, it was uh, about forty million. Yeah. What it made. Yeah. And 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 so worldwide, two hundred ten million. That's there. You can't. You don't walk away from that with a smile on your face. $210 million against a $177 million budget. That's What are they thinking? I know. I know. A, a couple, I, couple yeah, you don't walk away. Well, I'll say you don't walk away with a smile with the budget they spent, but when all is said and done, that's not a bad number for it. It should have just been half that budget. Well, yeah. Okay, number one, you never give Luke Besson that kind of money because none of his movies have ever made enough money to justify that kind of expense. Right. Number two, not and not to say he's not a talented filmmaker. Number two, you, you it's a comic nobody's heard of. Number three, you, you're going to cast Dane DeHaan as the lead. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I I want Hollywood to stop trying to make Dane DeHaan happen. Yeah, there's a few people that people are just set on that we 
fail to understand. Yeah, and it's I can see him being fine in a certain kind of role. He's not a yes. leading man. Right. He looks like a creepy stalker guy. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Stop it, Hollywood. Just stop. Yeah, come on. Come on. Come on. But this was a, a French production, right? Yes, it was. Yeah. But still, 177. I mean, but that means that even the French people didn't show up. Right, right. Right? This is sort of like Dread a couple of years ago, where even people in England, where the comic book is from, didn't watch the movie. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, the rest yeah. of the summer was just mostly uh, uh, the dregs, although I have not seen uh, the Hitman's Bodyguard. That benefited from the fact that nobody else was watching anything else. And it's, mm-hmm. it's been uh, number one at the box office for three weekends. Yep. And yep. and that's one I I really I feel a little desire to run out to see I I do it does seem like something I would watch on Netflix or something. Uh, yes, I I don't feel the urge to go out and see it, but I'm sure I will see it at some point. But but think about this. So it, this shows how low the box office has been just in general. How low attendance is. The Hitman's Bodyguard cost thirty million dollars. It has been number one at the box office for three weekends, and it has cumulatively made fifty eight million dollars. Wow. Right, so in other words, attendance in general has been very low. Where it's just happening to be at the top of the box office while nobody's watching. Yeah. So it's it's a hit, but it's not a smash hit by any by any means. Yeah, and then I may as well throw out there that uh, we I saw Terminator Two 3D. Yes. As well, I know you'd mentioned that you saw it, and uh, I was kind of uh, bummed that it didn't do a little bit better. Um, I'm I thought bummed, if they had but given I'm not it, surprised. I guess so. I. I I mean, Close Encounters, the re-release, did better than Terminator 2, which surprises me. Yes. Um, I just feel like they didn't push it like they could have. Yes. Um, but I really enjoyed the experience. Um, I've seen that movie. It might have been my favorite action film I saw summer. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> in the I, don't, I don't think you're wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so the story of the summer is one word, pain. <laughs> uh, it's been disappointing, but uh, I, I hope... That uh, based on the fact that uh, qualitatively there were quite a few good movies, even the mm-hmm. ones, that, even a few that didn't play. But I, I hope that that's something that would encourage people uh, to to check out more movies next summer. And I and I hope that Hollywood learns, learns the right lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Transformers Five underperforming and Pirates Five being perceived at least as a disappointment is probably the best possible thing that could have happened this summer. Yeah. Uh, not because I want anybody to lose their job or anything like that, but because uh, that'll it'll discourage people. You know, the the hit movies, the really smash hits, are like good movies. Yep. You know, when you look yep. at the the top performers, it's like, yeah, you know, Wonder Woman. I'm glad that did well. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Spider Man. I'm glad that did well. You know, Don Kirk, etc. War for the Planet of the Apes. Kind of, it had to take the bullet. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that's not the end of the franchise. Yeah. But I think that's a good place to wrap up, Brian. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, well, now we get into fall and sort of the November-December award season films, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Well, and, and our next episode, which will be coming next week, uh, we're, we're going to talk about what everyone's expecting is going to be uh, the thing to snap the box office out of its doldrums. And I'm talking about the Stephen King adaptation that isn't The Dark Tower. <laughs> yeah. So it, which is the the first of a two part adaptation, uh, is coming, and and so far word of mouth is good. I'm not generally a horror person, nor are you, but I have to admit I'm kind of excited to watch this movie. Totally. I mean, it looks up my alley. So I like creepy. I don't like gore, but I like creepy, and I 
love 80s movies with kids having adventures on bicycles so <laughs> there, there you go right yeah. in the brian hall sweet spot the stranger things et you know hopefully it hit hit the trifecta comfortably hopefully. next to those yeah and so we will be back next week to talk about it and until then brian why don't we tell our audience where you can be found if that's something they want to do well, I'm currently writing for a show called Puppy Dog Pals, which you can find on Disney and Disney Junior. And uh, I think you have young kids, or if you love puppy do- puppy dogs, you will enjoy it. So check it out. There you go. And it is a good show, and it's very exciting to see toys of Puppy Dog Pals at Target and to know that, hey, that's the show that my buddy works on. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Uh, as for me, you can find me at uh, my website, zackyscorner.com. That's Z-A-K-I-S Corner. And it's also my Twitter handle and my Instagram handle. And uh, you can find my movie reviews at the Huffington Post as well as this show. Uh, got some fun stuff coming up uh, both here on Movie Film and also at Nostalgia Theater. So keep an eye out. So fall season is here, but that doesn't mean we are slowing down. We've got lots to discuss in the weeks and months ahead. So keep it here and uh, spread the word if you have not already please go to itunes and write a review leave a star rating let people know what you think of the show so that uh, uh, we can keep doing what we're doing on behalf of my partner brian hall my name is zaki hassan this has been the first movie film of the fall but we'll be back for more next week thanks for listening welcome friends it's the movie Boom podcast, podcast. Boom podcast enjoy the show zaki and-